all the work that he's been doing as a volunteer executive pastor. And we thank you much for doing that, buddy. So much. So we have, uh, we have quite a bit of ground to cover today. And so I'm going to begin to, uh, to move pretty quickly. We're going to have a special time uh, at prayer where we're going to share testimonies as well. And so I want you guys to also be ready for that. These last few weeks, if you've uh, been keeping up with what we've been doing, we've been starting with the, uh, the book of Hebrews and talking about how the, the word of God proceeded forth from God through Jesus Christ to create this whole world. And all of us have been living in that word because we're living in creation. When we give thanks to God, we more fully are filled in that word, are more fully embraced by that word and its power and its love, and therefore are in more communion with God than before. And the more than we respond in obedience to the word of God as revealed in Jesus, the more aligned we become to him and to our purpose in life. And the, the early parts of that book, of the Hebrew, is, is to show us that the supremacy of Jesus over all former revelations is to, to be clear and to be clarified. He is the ultimate revelation of God. And whatever former ways we had of knowing God uh, are, are subject to the revelation that's in Jesus Christ. And that's really good news. Uh, because in, uh, in today's times, there's a lot of competing words that are out there. And there's other voices that want to be the word for you, including your own. <laughs> and as, uh, as you've grown in your faith, as, as uh, perhaps I have, uh, you've encountered many times where there's been things that you believe things about, you, about God until Jesus revealed a better way. And, uh, and there's no condemnation in that. There's just new glory and new glory and new glory. We are throwing aside the former things that are tied up in condemnation and shame and guilt and heaviness. And we're instead embracing this fresh life that's in Christ. So, Father, I do ask in the name of Jesus that you'd make clear Jesus today. <laughs> that you would show him as supreme. He is the true only power. All power is in Jesus. All love is in Jesus. And there, there are no other forms of love and power except that is revealed in Jesus. And so today we ask for that revelation pure and delightful and powerfully. Thank you, Father, for this. I'm going to jump into chapter 2. We just cleared at the end of chapter 1 that Jesus is superior to angels. They are wonderful. They, uh, angels are, they minister to us, but they are a, uh, you know, a subservient revelation than Jesus is. They serve us, even as, uh, as they seemingly are more powerful than us. Nonetheless, they don't have what we have. We are called children of God. Uh, they are called angels. Uh, we are the ones that have intimacy and communion with the Father. Uh, they're the ones that help serve that purpose within us. And so we thank God for the angels. We thank God for Jesus being superior to them. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 2, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. The reason why we have to pay closer attention is because we have a better revelation. In the, the previous forms of revelation, there were words that came from prophets and prophecies. There, there were angels that delivered words from the Lord. And those were wonderful. And if you disobeyed that, those, there was uh, you know, separation from God uh, you know, in, in experience. There was, in many ways, if you were from the people of God, there were punishments that came through or the consequences that were negative. Um, and so that was, that was a way that God was helping the people of God you know, form up into to who he had created them to be. But there's a better revelation now. 
And so the author of Hebrews says, therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. When Jesus is revealed to you, because it has this honing effect, this clarifying effect of ultimate reality, our call is to pay close attention to it, because if we don't, we are amplifying the effect of turning away from that word. Does that make sense? If, if, if there's ultimate clarity that God is giving to us and we say no to it, if there's ultimate light that it's providing and we turn away from it, because of its amplification and its power, we turn away in a more powerful way. And so the, the author of Hebrews has given us a really stern and clear, loving warning. Be careful how you hear. And you have ears to hear in this congregation. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation that Jesus has given to us? It was declared at first by the Lord. So Jesus declared the salvation. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was declaring this in the Gospels. We know this. And it was attested to us by those who heard, by the disciples, by the apostles, by many others who were around. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So this is the, the main text for today, but we're going to shoot off pretty strongly into a direction for the purpose of today's meeting. The purpose of today's meeting uh, is in many ways to always reveal Jesus. It's also because in our congregation at this time, we've had a deep, deep concern revealed to us through our, our uh, lovely brother Brad Thomas. Uh, you guys have maybe seen some of the emails for it, but there's been a tumor that has been discovered that is growing uh, here in its head. And, and there's been a call to prayer. And we're praying today at the very end of the service for that purpose. It also coincides with the text that we've been reading up into as you're reading right now, that God attested to Jesus and the better revelation of God through the very words of God in Jesus Christ, but also through signs and wonders and miracles and the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which are obviously still active today. And so I want to pay attention to what Jesus is saying through this. Uh, I think in the weeks ahead, I'm going to actually break down this portion of Scripture even more. So we'll get to this great salvation that Jesus has given to us. We'll get to all that he did through the atonement. But today, I really want to focus on what the author of Hebrews is saying, that it was first declared by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness to Jesus by signs and wonders. And so that term, signs and wonders, you may have heard that in various different circles before and you may know what that means, but I'm going to reveal or go to first what the, the scriptures teach on this. The first time that was used as, uh, you know, as a description of anything in the scriptures was coming from Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7 is the account of God setting free the people of Israel from Egypt. Uh, Egypt at that time had had the people of God living within them for 400 years. And at first they were friends, at first they were part of the, the, the kingdom of Egypt, at least on uh, friendly terms. But over the course of those centuries, eventually those people, the people of Israel, became enslaved. As their numbers grew and their potential power grew, the jealousy of the pharaohs also grew to the point where they wanted to bind them and hold them and to become slaves. And so after a while, God heard their prayers. Actually, the whole time he did. But then he, he, he discerned, uh, decided this time to raise up one in Moses as a deliverer. And so in chapter 7, we begin to see the ten plagues of Israel, of, uh, of, of Egypt. And these ten plagues, if you guys have known your Bible study before, I'm not going to go through every single one of them, but there were some pretty major things like 
uh, like frogs everywhere and, and, and locusts. You know, this is like Elizabeth's work nightmare to go outside in our, our, our pretty house and garden and find thousands of frogs just jumping inside the house. You know, it would, it would be an unpleasant scream that you'd hear coming from her, her lungs. But it was actually a response to a specific Egyptian god. And I can't pronounce it as Haptiyu. And it was a, a, a frog god that was in charge of specific things. There was also one of the plagues was the Nile turning blood uh, into blood. There was a, a god of the Nile that was the god of fertility and life. And God was showing himself greater than the god of the Nile, greater than this god, this frog god. There was also the god called Ra, the god of the sun. And when God sent the plague to create darkness and blot out the light for those days, it was to show directly that his power was greater than the power of Ra. In those ten plagues, we begin to therefore see at least four main purposes of miracles, of signs and wonders. And so we see, first of all, that God claims to be God. You know, he's God. You know, God created the universe. He created the stars and the sky. And if you and I have been outside for long enough and just seen its majesty, sometimes we're just in awe and say, God. You know, when you've seen those YouTube videos of the explanation of how big some of the stars are, like Betelgeuse and Betelgeuse and all those, and, and, and how large our universe, you're just like, God, you know, it creates this awe and wonder. It's amazing. And, and so we might not think that we need sometimes God to exert his power to show that he is God. But for a lot of folks, and sometimes we ourselves as well, we need God to reveal himself as God. And so here he is showing clearly in these plagues that he is God. He is the one true God. He is the God over every other God, which leads us to the second main purpose of this, which is evangelism. The Egyptians, first of all, they didn't know who God was. They had all these other gods that they would you know, sacrifice to, that they would live according to. And if you can imagine the, the, the God-like life of those cultures that were uh, insipid, they were, uh, they were lying, they would, they would create politics, and it was, it was an odd uh, deistic culture that they had in Egypt and Greek world and Roman world. It was been very difficult to follow these gods if you believe that they offer things like salvation and fertility or life. And so they didn't know God. God showing up as powerful over their gods showed them plainly who the one true God was and therefore offered them an opportunity to turn. And so we see that the signs and the wonders was there as a second purpose for evangelism to those that didn't know who God was, but also to those who didn't know who God was. <laughs> if you've been in a pit for long enough, even if you're a follower for Jesus, if you've been times through times of darkness or depression or just difficulty and you're just wondering, God, you know, are you going to show up? I mean, I've been, yeah, I've been faithful to you for years, but I haven't seen things go my way for a long time. God will show up like he did to the Israelites who have been groaning in slavery for some number of decades at least. Wondering, does God, is he, is he their true God? Is he really there for us? And so when he comes like that with signs and wonders, it's also to strengthen and encourage the people of God. And, and, and the third group that this also speaks to is people across time, including us to today. And, you know, the, the, the account of the plagues of, of Egypt, that of Egypt were recorded throughout the Psalms and throughout the life of Israel and even up into the New Testament times. It was always like, do you remember, you're the God who split the sea. And you're the God who sent plagues against Pharaoh. You're that God. You're the one that we, uh, that we uphold. We, you're the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and now our Savior, Jesus. So these words still speak to us today. Just like creation continues to expand and that word continues to grow, these words continue to grow in our heart as we participate in them. 
And so they, they're for us today. So God is God. That's one reason. Two, for evangelism. And third, uh, one of the, the third reason is uh, to show compassion. His power isn't to puff himself up. His power uh, isn't to, to make slaves of man either. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't just show off who he is so that we therefore have to be conformed to his image. He does it always out of his own compassion throughout the scriptures, uh, but especially in this case. His people were in bondage. They, they were working seven days a week under harsh taskmasters. They were being killed. And God shows up and says, no, no more of this. It's time for your deliverance. And so he shows his compassion. We're going to see that thread a little bit as we go throughout the miracles of the Lord. And the fourth reason is to show that he works through people. And this one's astonishing to me. If you look in Exodus chapter 7, verse 1, the Lord said to Moses, and this is in response to what he said in chapter 4, verse 16, he says, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. God had said to Moses in chapter 4, verse 16, he said, I shall make you like God, like Elohim to Pharaoh. And then he fulfills that through the plagues, and he says, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh. But we we can sometimes be a little uh, necessarily concerned that we don't puff up ourselves too much, right? And and become prideful. Here is God saying to a a person, just like you and I, said, see, I made you like God in front of that person. And so the the, the purpose of the sign and wonder is, is also to show that God works through people. Moses was the meekest and most humble of all that we know of in the scripture, you know, aside from Jesus. And so it, it came with great character. But it was also to point through his agency, through, through God working agently, agency through mankind, through us. And so why does he do, do this? He, he wants to help realign the nature of relationship. And so the, the gods of Egypt at this time, and then you see the gods of all the other nations that were around uh, Israel and even the gods that are around the world today, the nature of the relationship between that deity and those people is that of bondage and slavery every single time. Obedience is always, always outside of love. It's, it's if you don't, then I will do this. Obedience always is an act of slave, is, is a servitude and slavery in every deistic culture that's out there. You have to do this, otherwise these bad things are going to happen. And so all the other gods, they're actually backed by principalities, by these demonic uh, structures and, and spirits. That's what Jesus says. And they're always trying to enslave people, especially the people of God, but all peoples. And so God is pointing to people, in this case Moses, to help realign the nature of relationship. And, and he does this throughout the scripture. And so what he does with, with Egypt, uh, with, with Moses, is that he begins to show that Moses became, over the course of time, a, a friend of God's. At first, he was afraid of God or even angry at God or disappointed with God. Uh, by the end of his relationship with God, he, he had become a, a dear friend. He, he could actually like uh, talk to God and reason with God and, and even at times uh, try to reason God out of decisions that God himself was making, like a friend would do. But it's a, it's a greater revelation that continues on throughout the thread of Scripture that we'll get to in just a bit that as God points to a person that he's working through, it's always to reveal a renewing of the relationship that God is supposed to have with man. And ultimately, the pinnacle of that is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ reveals that the relationship between God and man is always father to child, father to daughter, father to son. 
And so that's the, that is called, uh, that, that is the, the new relationship that Jesus finally fulfills as opposed to being slaves. I no longer call you servants or slaves. I now call you friends. I'll, I'll call you sons and daughters. And so that's why God works through people, but it's an important thing to keep in mind for the purpose of today as we go into prayer here in just a little bit. God's agency is always through you and me. Always through you and me. It's always through our involvement. 100% of the time. So that's important to keep in mind. So this pattern continues to expand. So that the pattern uh, of God's working signs and, and wonders begins to expand the idea of redemption. With Egypt, he comes in and shows, I'm a deliverer. But remember, the fullness of the revelation doesn't come to Jesus. So throughout the whole Old Testament, there's a greater revelation that's happening, but it's always slightly incomplete. That's why it's not always a good idea to, to look and look to the Old Testament as the full revelation of God. You can find it if you look it through Jesus. But there's always a greater revelation that he's giving. So with Egypt, he shows that I am a redeemer, I, I'm a deliverer for you. But we hadn't yet gotten to the point where he was a father. It happens over the course of time. So I want to kind of begin to talk about that as, I think, as things go on. So for instance, we see in 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17. Some of you all may, uh, may like this chapter a lot because we begin to be introduced to a man named Elijah. And Elijah is a wild man. He's one like John the Baptist, or John the Baptist is one like him. He, uh, he calls forth things like lightning and fire, and he is... He doesn't mind going up to the most despicable and powerful of kings and calling to their face, you're evil, you're wicked. He's, he's a man's man. Like he's, he's going to be no, afraid of nobody, although it appears at times he actually is afraid of people. But he has this boldness that it comes with at times that's, that's wild. And so in 1 Kings 17, 19, you have Elijah in this wonderful time. He's, he's talking to this woman. And this woman is not part of the uh, community of, of, uh, of, of Israel. And uh, the son of this woman, the mistress of the house, the, the son of this particular woman, she became ill. And she is called the widow of Zarephath in the scriptures because her son in this story, he dies. The illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. So he passed. And she said to Elijah, what have you done against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring sin to remembrance and to cause, me, cause the death of my son. And so there was this idea that she had that some sin in her past was causing the death of her son in this case. And he was a man of God recognized by her as representing God. He was a prophet. He had been attested to by other signs and wonders and miracles. And so God was pointing to this man. He represents me. What is God like? And her first idea is, I must have sinned. Why did you bring this to remembrance that my son should die? And so up in this point, God was known in the land as one who will bring justice, but the fullness of his redemption, like a father, hadn't yet been fully revealed. And so Elijah says, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where the son lodged and laid the son on the bed, on his own bed. And then Elijah cried to the Lord, agency activated. O Lord, my God, you have brought calamity even upon the widow whom I am resting with by killing her son. Why have you done this? And then Elijah stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. And the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. Wow. First resurrection. It's amazing. It's a, it's a first revelation of God. 
as the one who has authority over death to bring forth life. It's not just that he has the power and authority, but his actually his desire to. This is a progressive revelation. We didn't know this before. And then Elijah comes in and he prays, this is who our God is. And, she, and, and he instantly reorganizes and reframes the idea of relationship between God and, and man to this woman. Now this woman has a clear revelation of who God is, and more clear. And that's amazing. So the point of the sign and the wonder, in this case, is to reveal that he's God, he's God over all things, and that he cares to have the good news of who he is spread out. And so he, he gives life to this one, and it's always out of compassion. This is who our God is. And so we see this also with Elisha. He does a resurrection in 2 Kings chapter 4. I'm not going to read that one, but you guys can go to it if you wanted to. We also see that uh, there was a man uh, subsequent to this. Um, so first of all, uh, the woman then says in verse 24, Now I know that you are a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is true. And this is an important note to make. She had heard about this man of God, but then she sees the miracle, the sign and the wonder, and she says, Now I know that your word is true about who our God is. So also with Moses... The people of God and the people of Israel, the people of Egypt, didn't know who their God was, didn't know who the one God was, until this man Moses spoke. And through the signs and wonders, it attested that this is the one of who God speaks through this man right here. So believe what he says because of these miracles. And so the point of the miracle is to point to God in a correct way. And so the purpose of the signs and wonders, these miracles, is to show that you and I are speaking true about Jesus to speak that we are the ones and, and, and we, we carry the words of God in our own mouth. This is who we are. This is who you and I are. And in the Old Testament, it was always pointing to a prophet. It was pointing to Moses. It was pointing to Elijah. It was pointing to Elisha. Both Elijah and Elisha, they had multiplication of food like we're going to later on see in Jesus. And we also see that it's for people outside of the kingdom along with people that are inside of the kingdom. And so in this idea of prophecy, Moses was so enamored with what it meant for the people of God and also for our relationship with God that he wanted all to have it. And so again, we're covering a lot of ground here, but if you want to check out Numbers chapter 11, verse 20. Moses is on top of the mountain of fire. <laughs> And he's speaking to Moses, and he's speaking to the people that are there. And so there's this whole story of Moses bringing up the elders to the top. And the Lord came down on cloud and spoke to them in verse 25, and took some of the spirit that was on Moses and put it on the 70 elders. And as soon as the spirit rested on them, they all prophesied. And then two men who remained in the camp also named Eldad and another named Medad, the Spirit rested on them, and they also began to prophesy. And so Moses later on says, uh, he, he was asked, like, why are you not going to stop them from prophesying? Don't you want to have the Spirit all to yourself? And in verse 29 says, uh, Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would, all, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, and that the Lord put his Spirit on all of them? And Moses and the elders of Israel returned to the camp. What's the point? God was putting his spirit on the elders at this time. And Moses, out of response to that, his heart had been changed through this new relationship between God and man. That He wanted now all of us, all peoples, to prophesy, all to know who God was. When the spirit of God is on us, we have our, our perceptions of God opened up. We can understand him. 
as we've been speaking over these last months in our community, you actually can't understand God apart from the Spirit of God. So if you have any understanding of God, it's because of his intimacy with you. He has revealed that it's his initiative and love that's revealing himself to you. He has placed his spirit upon you. And that should be encouraging to you to understand where this comes from. We learn in our nation that understanding comes from diligence, study, and education, and, and putting hard work into things like this. God says, that's not how I give understanding. I give it through my grace. I give it through my spirit. You're not going to understand anything of God through long hours of study, although that's helpful. And devotion is wonderful. I've spent thousands of hours in study. Wake up. But it's all come in the, in the context of communion with him, not to have any understanding whatsoever. So Moses desires that all prophesy. And then there's a prophet that comes along later on named Joel. And we know his story in the Christian circles well because uh, it's repeated at different times. Joel, I'm just going to quote it, in, in uh, chapter 2, uh, verse 28 and 29, he says that uh, in those days, in the last times, God will pour out a spirit upon all peoples, women and children is the context, and they shall all prophesy. Uh, the old men shall dream dreams, uh, and the young ones will, will prophesy. And then Peter quotes this in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit of God is revealed at Pentecost, because all who were there at Pentecost, the Spirit of God came upon them, and they all began to prophesy. And so prophecy is linked to signs and wonders as these prophets of old would operate, like Elijah and Elisha, like Isaiah, you know, who was taken up uh, and had, was a, had odd object lessons with God, uh, you know, uh, in his ministry. Um, as folks like uh, Ezekiel, they would see visions of God out um, uh, in, in the land as Daniel would be able to close the lion's mouth. These prophets had signs and wonders come upon them to point to the fact that, they're, that they were speaking for God. And they were, had signs and wonders that would always accompany them. And Moses, Joel, Peter, they all say, they all desire that prophecy and the Spirit of God would rest on all peoples. And then it begins to happen in Acts chapter 2. And as it does, miracle signs and wonders begin to follow the people of God. And you may be wondering, well, does this happen to us? Uh, does Jesus really intend for that to continue on? And we see in Matthew chapter 8, verse 16, that... First of all, Jesus took up all infirmities and healed all the sick, according to Matthew chapter 8, verse 17. Acts 10, 39, all were healed that were afflicted by the devil. That's the scripture, healed all that were afflicted by the devil. And then uh, you know, we, we see, therefore, that, that all who came to Jesus were healed. Every person in the scripture that, that came to him were healed. And then he says to you and me, he says, but a, a student is not above his master. And as they grow up and become mature, they will also do these same things. And that's coming from Matthew, I've got it written down somewhere. So I'm going to put all these things above, uh, I'm going to put all these things in notes and put them on Slack for us. Luke chapter 6, verse 40, a student is not above his teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like his teacher, that all who come to them will be healed. Jesus says also in John 14 that these works that I have done, which attest to the Father, which attest to my words in you, uh, these works which I do, greater works will you do. And then it says in Acts chapter 1 that, uh, that all these things that Jesus began, and, and the word in the Greek is that you know, it's a beginning of things that has no end. And so that the context is that these signs and wonders, these miracles, are going to follow all of us. In Revelation 19.10, said that the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. I, that's an important one to note because many of you are sitting here thinking, well, I'm not a prophet. I don't prophesy. Have you ever told anyone about Jesus? Mm -hmm. Then you, you prophesied. 
Have you ever given testimony to before about what Jesus has done in your life? Then you're, you're prophesying. Did you guys know that? Okay. The, the Spirit of God is always going to rest upon you as you share Jesus. 100% of the time. It's a guarantee. Whenever you share Jesus, the Spirit of God will rest upon you and make powerful what you speak. 100% of the time. That's the word of the Lord. In, in just a few minutes, we're going to break out. We're not going to break out. We're going to have time for testimony. As you share your testimony about what has God done in your life for healing, or you've known someone else that God's done something for healing for, the Spirit of God is going to be released. You'll be prophesying what Jesus is like and what he has done and what he can do. That's the word of God. It's been consistent throughout all of Scripture. We've had a growing revelation of who God is, fully now revealed in Jesus Christ. All who came to Jesus were healed. There's reasons I'm not going to get into today why sometimes we don't experience healings. Uh, my, my, my contention and my belief that I'll teach you guys, but I'll also teach you other perspectives. But, but my personal conviction is that we haven't yet seen the, the bride fully come into unity and love. And apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, like Ephesians 4, in the full measure of Christ. But read at the very beginning of the service, he prayed that the full measure of Christ would be here today. And so, I, I believe we're healing today. But we'll get into that at another time, I just don't have time for it right now. I just want you guys to see from Scripture where we come up with the idea and the belief strongly that when we pray, about, when we pray for healing, it's going to happen. When we prophesy about Jesus and testify, he comes. Because we're going to be praying for a dear friend today. And, and you are the body of Christ. You are his agents here on earth. His works come through you. I hope you feel that glory. That's who you're called to be. Radiant, shining, unstoppable bride. Nothing is going to stop you all. And we're just getting started. So I want to give a little bit of time for testimonies. And if you wouldn't mind, I've asked some of you, I haven't asked you personally, but I've put out an email and asked if you would have some things prepared. If you would, uh, keep it to about two to three minutes, and we're going to have some time of testimony. And then after that, Brad's going to come forward and share. We're going to pray for Brad. We're going to pray for all who want healing. And then we're going to have communion after that. So uh, if you wouldn't mind, uh, 